0: The sermon reading this morning is from Luke chapter 4, verses 31 to chapter 5, 16. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath began to teach the people. They were amazed at his teaching, because his message had authority. In the synagogue there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit he cried out at the top of his voice ha huh, what do you want with us jesus of nazareth have you come to destroy us i know who you are the holy one of god be quiet jesus said sternly come out of him then the demon threw the man down before them before them all and came out without injuring him all the people were amazed and said to each other what is this teaching With authority and power, he gives orders to evil spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever. And they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over and rebuked the fever and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. When the sun was setting... The people brought Jesus. Uh, brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness and laying hands on their, each one of them, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. At day, daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him and when they come to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put it out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Simon's Partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything and followed him. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell on his, with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, Don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed by their sickness of their sickness, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed.
1: Thanks, Peter. It'd be great if you could keep that passage in Luke chapter 4 and 5 open. We're going to spend a bit more time looking at that together now. Our practice each week here at Richmond Anglican is to have a reading from the Old Testament and from the New. Uh, the first reading we don't uh, have a sermon on. Um, we'll come to that another time. But uh, we're going to spend a bit more time looking at Luke's Gospel together now. And any questions that come up on your way through, just make a note of those and we'll have a chance for questions a bit later on. We did pray already, but I'm going to pray again now. Please join me. Heavenly Father, we do ask that this time that we spend in your word together now, that you will show us Jesus all the more clearly, that we will see who he is and what it means to be people who are, Trusting and following him, who love what he loves and who, to want, who want to see the kingdom that he brings. And we pray this in his name. Amen. It seems to me that one of the things that most people know about Jesus, even people who don't really know very much about him, know that he was known as a miracle worker. You know, we, we know that he taught some amazing things and people are generally pretty ready to accept that about Jesus, but also that, that he did some amazing things, that he was known as a miracle worker. And that really second one is the one that tends to divide people. You know, the, people often simply refuse to believe that that could have happened. You know, miracles don't happen, therefore that didn't happen, is often the, the logic that people follow, which is not particularly logical. You, you may have heard the, the idea, people back then were more gullible Right, Less scientific, ready to believe just about anything that anyone says. But we know better now. We know that things like that don't happen. But it seems to me that as we read the accounts of Jesus' miracles that are all through the Gospels and that Luke has written down for us, you can't help but notice that they were just as unbelievable for the people back then as they are for us today. And that was kind of the point, right? People were shocked and amazed because these things that Jesus was, do- was doing was shocking and amazing. People back then knew, just like we know, they knew that cripples don't just get up and walk. They knew that blind people don't just all of a sudden see again. They knew that dead people don't come back to life. But with Jesus, all these things happened. And people were shocked by that and amazed by that and they flocked to him. But just like people back then, it's easy for us, I think, to get so caught up in the idea of the miracles themselves and perhaps whether we believe them or don't believe them that we can miss the point of what they actually tell us about Jesus and how these miracles fit into the bigger picture of Jesus And hopefully that's what we're going to be looking at and getting some clarity about today as we look at this account, which involves a lot of those miracles. And the question that I want to get us started in thinking about this idea today is this one. Who is the ruler of the world? Who is the ruler of the world? And what I mean by that is... The question that many of us were asking, I think it was two weeks ago, if you remember, when Jesus was tempted by the devil in the desert. And in particular, the second temptation where the devil said to Jesus, he offered Jesus the authority and splendor of all the kingdoms of the world. And he said, because they have been given to me. The devil was claiming to have been given authority and power over the world and he offered them to Jesus. He claimed to have that rule. And as I said, the question that a lot of people, and maybe you're one of them, had two weeks ago when we looked at this was, wasn't that just a lie? Surely the devil doesn't actually have what he was offering Jesus. Surely he doesn't have the rule over the world in order to be able to offer that to him. Because we know the Bible says that God is the one who has all rule and authority over the world. And yet, at the same time, Jesus himself tells us that that wasn't an outright lie. That there is a very real sense in which, yes, the devil does have rule and authority, power over this world. This is from the lips of Jesus himself. He He calls the devil the ruler of this world. And in Ephesians, the devil is called the ruler of the kingdom of the air. And in 1 John, it says, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And so, whatever else we might want to say, whatever kind of caveats we might want to put on that, there is a very real sense in which the devil does have power in this world, that he does have rule over this world we hear it from the lips of Jesus himself and at that moment then temptation of the devil for Jesus was to offer that to Jesus alongside of him or in fact under the devil he offered that to Jesus and and two weeks ago we were talking about what a real temptation that was for him but he resisted and, and refused the offer But what we're going to see today, and really one of the major themes in Luke's gospel going forward from there, is about Jesus taking that power from the devil, overpowering him and winning back from the devil the authority and power that never should have been his in the first place. And so that's what we're going to see in this passage. Jesus demonstrates that he does, in fact, have power and authority over those very things that are the mark of the devil's power in this world. Demons, death, disease, the the signs of evil in the world around us. And that is incredibly good news. And it is amazing and remarkable when we see Jesus exercising this power. But as it unfolds, what we're going to see also is that even in those moments, Jesus' priority lies elsewhere with even better news. And that's what we're going to see towards the end of our time together. So let's have a look at it. The first point that we're going to see is the power and authority of Jesus, and particularly his power over evil. So I want you to notice with me that the very first thing that gets a mention when Jesus arrives in Capernaum is the authority of his words. Have a look from verse 31 with me. Then he, Jesus, went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. See, even before Jesus had done anything miraculous, at this moment at least, the thing that amazed people was the authority of his words. That there was something compelling, something commanding, something amazing about his words themselves, and people could not help but notice that. And right in the moment when people were noticing that about him and were amazed by that, a situation arises in the synagogue where Jesus demonstrates the authority of his words. We're told a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit, shouts out against Jesus. He recognizes who Jesus is and, and 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 it creates a confrontation. What do you want with us, Jesus? We, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. This is clearly a, a confrontation moment between Jesus and this Spirit who has power over the man. But did you notice how easily Jesus dealt with it? Just a rebuke and, and two commands. Be quiet and come out of him and we're told immediately the demon obeyed and left the man without harming him and not surprisingly all the people were amazed at the power and authority of his words that he could simply command an evil spirit and it obeys you see it's one thing to give a command right but the thing that will really actually test the authority of the command is whether or not the command is obeyed. You know, imagine down at the RAF base, a, a, some low-ranking, what is it, cadet? Some, what's the bottom rank called? Cadet? Yeah? AC. AC, I don't know what that is. You can ask these guys later. <laughs> Someone low-ranking goes around giving orders to their senior officer, right? What's going to happen? They're not going to last long, are they? They're certainly not going to obey the command, right? Or perhaps maybe a little bit more relevant for our current world situation, you know, Vladimir Putin. People are trying to compel him to withdraw troops from the Ukraine. World leaders have been trying to compel him, but he does not recognise their authority, so he does not listen to what they say. It's a question of power and authority and who has the greatest, and so a war has come instead. But with Jesus and the evil spirit, there is no question. Jesus has the power and authority to command even evil spirits who are against him and they obey. And so we're told, not surprisingly, that news about him spread. So the next thing, the next demonstration of Jesus' power and authority in this section is over sickness. We're told the mother-in-law of Peter was sick with a high fever And they asked Jesus to help her and what I found surprising particularly in this account is that the way it's described is that what Jesus did with the fever was exactly the same thing that he did with the unclean spirit. It's the same word, that is he rebuked the fever. And I don't know about you but I thought that was a strange way to describe what Jesus did as if the fever was a person. You know, you rebuke people. Right, you don't rebuke things like fevers, but apparently no one told Jesus that. And like with the unclean spirit, this was a command of authority. And Jesus expected that this sickness, this fever, would do what he said. And it did. It left her. Just like the spirit left the man and she was healed so comprehensively and so completely that she was able to get up instantly in that moment and wait on them. There was no kind of residual fatigue over days and weeks and months like some of us have found after a bout of COVID, you know, where you just can't quite get up. She was right into it, healed instantly at the command of Jesus. And that was just the beginning of the healings that day. At sunset, people flocked to him with their sick people, all kinds of sicknesses we're told, and he healed them, including, again, those with demons. And here's, I think, where we get to the bigger picture purpose of these miracles. See, I want to suggest that these are not just miracles for the sake of, say, impressing people and not even just out of compassion for people in their situation, although certainly that was that as well. But actually, what we're meant to see here is that these miracles meant something. That they are a demonstration of the power of the kingdom of God. That Jesus has come with the power of God's kingdom because he is its king. And where Jesus is, the devil cannot hold on to his power, to his rule, to his kingdom. You see, we're told that when Adam and Eve took from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil... They were saying they wanted to know both good and evil and God gave them and us exactly that. That is, we still live in a world, in God's good world, but we also know evil. We experience it, we do it. God gave our world over to the power of the evil one, to the devil, and whether it's the kind of extreme examples that, that we see here with someone under the influence of a demon, which we hardly even know what to think about, or just in the sickness and the, and the chaotic world that, that we are all too familiar with, we know evil. We know the impact that it has on our lives, the power of the evil one. But all that just gives way at the command of Jesus because he came with the power of God to overthrow the rule of the devil. And that's what these miracles show. It's kind of like the world under the devil's rule is like an eternal winter. But everywhere Jesus goes, spring begins to bloom. Winter cannot keep its hold on the land wherever Jesus is. And if you're at all familiar with the story of the lion, the witch and the wardrobe in the Narnia series, that's the beautiful image that C.S. Lewis has given us. Aslan, the the lion, is the king who is returning to the land of Narnia and and it's a land that is under the power of the evil white witch and the eternal winter that she has imprisoned it in. But everywhere Aslan goes, the snow melts. And flowers begin to bloom. Spring is here because the king has come. It's a beautiful image, isn't it? A- and that's what we see in Jesus. That everywhere he goes, the devil cannot hold on to his grip on the world. Demons, death, disease, give way at his command. Because he has come with the power and authority of God to overthrow the rule of the devil and to bring the kingdom of God. And, you know, I suspect as we read about this and as we think about it, this is the kind of Jesus that most people would be very happy to benefit from, very happy to see. And, in fact, that's exactly what happens, right? People flock to Jesus when he's doing these kinds of things. The Jesus who can get rid of what is bad in this world, the evil, the disasters, the sickness, and replace it with only good, that's what we want to see. But right at this moment, right when we get to the climax of Jesus healing people left, right and centre, we also see the surprising priority of Jesus. Have a look at what happens in the morning after healing people all night, Jesus goes off by himself and not surprisingly people go and try and find him and compel him to come back to where they are. They want him to keep doing what he has been doing, healing people some more and why wouldn't you? But we're told that Jesus refused. Not because he's tired and he needs a break, although I'm sure he would have been tired. Not even because he wants to go and heal people somewhere else. Have a look at why he says he doesn't want to go back with them verse 43 and 44. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also, because that is why I was sent. Do you hear what Jesus said about his purpose, his his mission, why he was sent? He came to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. Literally, to proclaim the gospel, to evangelise People. That was his mission. See, Jesus didn't come to change the world one healing and one exorcism at a time, to melt the snow everywhere he goes, so to speak. Not because that's inefficient, but because that's not the real problem. The real problem is the underlying problem of the heart, the problem of sin that people are not on the side of God and his king, that as much as we want the good things that God gives and why wouldn't we want that, we don't want God. And Jesus came to sort that problem out first so that people can come into his kingdom and all the blessings of God that go with that. And, and you notice, you see that that's really the issue in the last healing in this passage that we also read where Jesus helps the, heals the leper. And he tells him to go and show himself to the priest. Did you notice that? It's kind of an unusual thing that he tells, Jesus, tells the, the man to do. You see, skin diseases like leprosy weren't just a physical problem of the skin. God said that they also symbolised being unclean in God's eyes. They symbolised the fact that sin, sinful people can't stand in the presence of a holy God. And so the leper was cut off from God and cut off from God's people but Jesus cleansed him and so he sent him to the priest to verify that he was now cleaning God's eyes. That Jesus doesn't just fix physical problems he restores people to God. And that's why Jesus had a different mission to just healing people and driving out evil spirits. And that's also Why he told the spirits to be quiet and to not tell people who he was. Did you notice that? They kept shouting out and they were right. You're the Messiah. And Jesus told them to be quiet every time, even though it was true. Because back then, just like today, people wanted a different kind of Messiah. One who would fix the problems that they wanted fixing and the way that they wanted them fixed. But Jesus knew that he was not to be that kind of Messiah, not yet anyway. Jesus was the Messiah who would suffer and die for the sins of the world. That's how Jesus would ultimately win people back from the power of the devil. And then he would rise again to rule the kingdom of God for all who come to him. And it seems to me that Peter understood that problem at least, his problem at least, you notice in that second last section in chapter 5 verse 8 where he's confronted by the power of God in Jesus and what does he say? He says, go away from me Lord, I'm a sinful man. He knows that his problem, that his sin is a problem and he cannot stand in the presence of the power of God because of that. But instead Jesus enlists him on his mission to fish for people, to gather people in for God. And Peter and his companions left everything to follow Jesus. And this is where I kind of want to try and land us at this point. Because, you know, I take it completely for granted that we would love to see the power of Jesus at work in people's lives in the way that he works in this passage, right, in our lives in the lives of our loved ones, of our friends and family. I mean, who wouldn't want to see that? How amazing would that be to see the kind of healings going on among us that Jesus was doing here? How good would it be? How could we not want it? But if we value that, how much more should we value what Jesus said was an even greater priority? What Jesus said was his mission, to proclaim the kingdom of God so that people could come in to it. But I suspect perhaps we battle with a bit of an inconsistency at this point in our values and, and priorities. I mean, Imagine with me for a moment, you're visiting a friend in, at Hawkesbury Hospital and they're quite sick. You, you're by the bedside with them and things are not looking good. And you're sitting with them by the bed and you're praying for them. And as you're praying for them, the machine that they're hooked up to starts bipping in a a more positive way and 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 color starts to return to their face and strength and vitality starts to return to their body and they sit up and they're completely healed they pull the, the tubes out of themselves and get out of the bed and start dancing around completely healed and then the person in the bed next to them sees what's happening and says can you pray for me as well you go, okay, and you pray for them as well and the same thing happens. And then a, a, a bit of a, a murmur starts amongst the, the nurses and, and, and the hospital generally and, and you end up going from bed to bed and from room to room throughout the ward and before long the entire ward is healed and then not just the ward but the entire hospital and right when you've finished healing everyone in the hospital, a helicopter comes and lands on the helipad and not delivering a critically ill person but to deliver you to Napean Hospital and then and then uh, RPA, and then Royal North Shore, and they've got a program for you for the rest of the day. You're going to be busy going to all the hospitals to empty them all, to heal everyone. And I say, come on, get in the, get in the helicopter. And you say, well, I'd love to, but I'll, I'm catching up with a friend for coffee. They've asked me about Jesus, and I really want to be able to tell them about him. Or I've got to go teach a, a, a kindergarten scripture class, and I really don't want to miss it. It almost sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? I mean, who would do that? The first part would get you on the news for sure. The second part will get you funny looks at best and probably a lot of criticism, actually, because that is not the priority that our world values. But that's what Jesus did. This is not to say that Jesus is not for healing people and improving their lives in that way. Clearly he was. He did a lot of it but that was not his mission nor was it the mission that he left us with yeah, peter and his friends left everything to follow jesus and that wasn't just some personal private thing for them they left everything behind so that they could join people in fishing sorry join jesus in fishing for people in gathering people into the kingdom that jesus was bringing to rescue them from the power of the devil and into the kingdom of God. And that will include all the good things that we see glimpses of, that Jesus did one person at a time when he went around in Galilee and Judea. That will include that. That will be the world that Jesus rules over with no more evil, no more sickness, no more death. But first, it must involve gathering people in. To that kingdom to trust and follow him restored to God and on the side of his king and so i hope we can see how this should challenge our priorities i'm sure we all know someone who we would love to see the power of Jesus at work like he does here in this passage And if we could give that to them, then we would, wouldn't we? But we can give them what Jesus said was his priority. We can give them the good news of the kingdom of God. That God has not left the world under the power of the devil. That Jesus has conquered the devil by his death for our sin. So that we can be forgiven and restored to God, and that He has risen to life again as the King over all, and He welcomes people into His kingdom. Anyone and everyone. And that is the good news that has been spreading throughout the world. And we have that news to share with people, with our friends, with our family, with our workmates, with our neighbours isn't that something that we should want to share with them, to give them? And I have to say that I find that this is something that I need to keep being reminded of because I keep forgetting. Or perhaps a better way to put it is I keep losing perspective on how important it is. Because there are so many other good things that need to be done, aren't there? Although, if I'm being more honest, perhaps I'd say i just get caught up in my own world and my own priorities. But this should challenge that. And we need to keep being reminded of it because we know the answer to the question, who is the ruler of the world? Jesus is. He has dethroned the devil and rescued us from the power of evil. If only people would believe that. And come into his kingdom. And we have that good news to tell people. And so I wonder, who is there in your life who you can tell this to? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you will fill us with a knowledge and appreciation of the goodness of the good news that Jesus came to give us that Jesus has freed us from the power of the devil by his death for our sin and his resurrection for our new life. Father, please forgive us for when we don't value that for what it is or when we value it only for ourselves and not for others. Father, please embolden us by the power of your spirit to be willing to share that with others. And we pray that as a result, you will bring more people into the kingdom of your son and to enjoy the eternal life that he gives us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.